The way our society sets us up is we think you either like make it or don't. It really doesn't show us that we are the creators of our reality. So again, I had never had this experience and my family was really in my ear telling me that I was gonna um, risk the, like, the best years of my life trying to do something that was not gonna work out. So I was not sure. Again, I'm in my 20s at this point. Am I making a mistake? Am I taking a risk? Am I gonna regret this? Or sometimes I look at my parents and be like, do I wanna end up like them? Are, are they living their dharma? Are they happy? And I think a lot of us were taking advice from people who are not living their purposes, you know? So of course that person's gonna give you advice from their limited worldview. Especially our families, they want to keep us safe. But in that keeping us safe, it keeps us confined. Hello and welcome to the EverCoach podcast, the online destination for a coach that wants to create a positive impact in the world and make good money along the way. All good deeds should be well rewarded. You should be well rewarded. I'm your host, Ajit Nawalka, and every week I'll bring you the world's best thinkers, coaches, trainers to share some of their best ideas to solve real client problems, live a prosperous life, and be an even better version of ourselves. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Evercoach Podcast. This is your host, Ajit Navlaka. And today I have someone so very special. She's a geo friend, a best-selling author, and a master instructor in helping you find your purpose, which is what we're going to talk about today. Please welcome my dear friend, Sarah Rose. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I am so freaking excited to have you here because we've had such great, interesting conversations about purpose and meaning and dharma, as mm-hmm. you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a conversation we haven't had enough of on the Evercoach podcast. And these are people who are listening to this podcast are people who want to be able to create an impact in the world. These are individuals who want to coach other individuals to be able to live the best of their lives. And I think a lot of times as we are creating and on the journey, we fall off the wagon. And I think the conversation on purpose is so timely right now, mm-hmm. because right now the world is going through this very interesting time, which um, I think everybody is kind of starting to doubt and, and wonder if they were in alignment with what they were doing. So tell us a little bit, first of all, before we get into the business of our understanding of what the purpose, what purpose is, how to find it, what, what's your journey on it. Let's first know a little bit about you. My audience might be hearing this, hearing about you for the first time. So tell them a little bit about Sahara Rose. Mm, Well, I am so excited to dive into this conversation because it is so timely and needed right now. And my own questioning of wondering what my purpose was is what got me involved. I I really believe that everyone who's a coach needed the coaching. Everyone who's a healer needed the healing themselves. So for me growing up, I just knew that I was here to help people. And I would look at the world around me and I would see Gandhi and Mother Teresa and all these big figures. And I noticed, well, to be of service, you have to sacrifice your own life. So I'll do that. So I looked at the world's greatest problems, which stemmed from human rights. My mother was a refugee. My dad was an immigrant. My grandmothers were in child marriages. My uncles were political prisoners. So I saw the shadows of society very young in my life. And I felt this deep responsibility of being born, the first person in my entire family to be born in the US and realizing I have this freedom And I have this opportunity to help. So I need to sacrifice my own life to help others. So I got involved into human rights. I was the president of Amnesty International. And then I moved to DC and I went to George Washington. I was studying international development. And then um, 
working with different immigrant and refugee rights associations. Now, this was what I wanted to do my whole life. I thought, here I am at the pinnacle, and I felt so disconnected from the people that I wanted to help. I realized that I was spending my time planning a fundraiser, that all of the money would just go to the next fundraiser. And I wanted to interact with people. I wanted to hear their stories. I wanted to feel them. And I wasn't sure how that could ever turn into a career. So I was having a bit of a crisis at this point of how can I be of service and help humanity and use my creativity and my communication, these other gifts that I have, but I wasn't sure how they would ever fit into the box. And um, the universe decided to gift me with health problems at this period of my life. So I started to experience different health issues, digestive issues, hormonal imbalance. When I was 21, I was diagnosed with perimenopause. So doctors told me I would never be able to have kids. And by the time I was 50, I'd be handicapped because you're no longer creating estrogen in your body. So I couldn't fix the world at this point. I had to learn how to heal myself. That brought me on the journey of learning all different health systems, brought me to Ayurveda, the world's oldest health system and the sister science of yoga. And long story short, moving to India, living in India for two years, studying Ayurveda, healing my body with it, and realizing there are so many people out there who had different issues like me that this wisdom could help. And I decided I would write a book on it. And that's really where my dharmic journey began because who am I to write a book? I'm not a doctor. I don't have my PhD. And these are the same things my family is telling me, you know, society is telling me. And part of me really knew that I went through these health problems for a reason to be of service to others. But also I had no proof, no evidence. I had never met anyone living their dharma before, right? My parents' life was about survival. So who am I to take a risk, especially when they sacrifice so much for me? And that is really when my journey of understanding my dharma began. I began questioning. I began learning about myself. And then finally, having the courage to commit to writing the book, writing my first book, getting it published, walking up to Deepak Chopra at a conference, him reading the book, him offering to write the forward of the book, me writing the next book and the next book. And, you know, I've written four books at this point and have now realized that there are so many people like myself who have gone through obstacles who've gone through setbacks. And those were the exact experiences, the curriculum that they needed to embody that purpose. You know, we were born with a purpose, but we're not necessarily born embodying it. It's those experiences that give us the courage, the strength, the experience, the nuance to help us now be a living experience of that Dharma. And that is what brought me to writing Discover Your Dharma and now empowering other coaches to help others find their purpose as well. That is beautiful. That is such a beautiful story, Sahara. And Sahara, I really want to kind of help our coaches that are listening to this too, especially the narrative that you started with, which was, I was about to write a book. And then I had people telling me, who am I to write it? The, the whole dialogue and the narrative that comes as a part of it, of any time we want to live our purpose, our dharma, and that is breaking the rule of society. Mm-hmm. What was that going through, going through that? And what was it that you kind of had to get over? What was your process? What were you thinking that helped you say, whatever the world says, I'm going to do this because this is true and honest to me. Mm, So it was for me a dance of, you know, taking two steps forward of like confidence and courage and I'm going to do it. And then having an experience with my, it was mostly my parents that were the biggest people against (laughs) this that would set me back. And then like having the confidence and courage and back. And like, even when my first book came out, I was still studying for a real estate exam because I was like, well, I guess I'm going to write this book and have to get a normal job once this comes out. Cause I don't know how this is going to work out. And 
the way our society sets us up is we think you either like make it or don't. It really doesn't show us that we are the creators of our reality. So again, I had never had this experience and my family was really in my ear telling me that I was going to um, risk the like the best years of my life trying to do something that was not going to work out. So I was not sure. Again, I'm in my 20s at this point. Am I making a mistake? Am I taking a risk? Am I going to regret this? Or sometimes I'd look at my parents and be like, do I want to end up like them? Are, are they living their dharma? Are they happy? And I think a lot of us were taking advice from people who are not living their purposes. You know, So of course that person's going to give you advice from their limited worldview especially our families, they want to keep us safe. But in that keeping us safe, it keeps us confined. You know, as a, as a human, your desire is to live your fullest expression. As a parent, your desire is to keep that kid as safe as you can. Those are two different interests. Yeah. So I had to get to this point of realizing that I was living for my parents' approval. I was living for their gold star pat on the head. You're a good student. You're, and I think a lot of Asians feel this way and, and pe people in general of we're, we're conditioned. We need our parents' approval for safety. Right. And then here I am now, like I, I had this realization that they kept telling me to follow my dreams and here I am following my dreams. And suddenly I'm a disgrace to them. And I think a lot of us, we have this idea that like the things that were told as a kid, you can be whatever you want. You grow up and then that's all bullshit. So it's having that realization that your life is yours to decide. No one can choose it for you. And you were born as a sovereign being. And I had to realize that I could either make myself happy or make my family happy, but it wasn't going to be both. So after a really horrific fight with my dad that he disowned me and said, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, I realized that I was free. I realized that I didn't have to live for his approval anymore. And finally... I could live for my own. And that's when I went back to India, wrote that book, and I'm here today. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. And a lot of courage there. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you on that. And kudos to you for sharing that mm -hmm. with our audience here today because a lot of us are looking for that courage. They're looking for that courage where even when you're disowned by your father, you say, hey, listen, maybe this is freedom. Maybe yeah. this is for me to finally leave those shackles behind and do what I got to do for myself, for yeah. my honesty, for my truth, for my dharma. And but I think we need those different breakdowns of, you know, if I wanted to help people find their purpose or help them be empowered, was I a living experience of that empowerment? So I think we have different levels that we need to get through. For me, it was being disowned. For someone, it could be their divorce. It could be their health crisis. But that breakdown that guides them to that breakthrough that helps them see, oh, I am the one who's in charge of my reality. Mm, true, true. So when you started finding your dharma, of course, you started as uh, as writing the first few books. I think you wrote around health. Mm -hmm. you, were, you had discovered how to heal yourself and, and so forth. There was a point where you, of course, realized that, hey, I'm living my dharma. How do I help others? And you just recently released a book around it. What are some of the things that we need to know to firstly understand what is it that it feels like mm. to living your dharma. Yeah. So your dharma is your soul's purpose. It's the big reason why you're here. And it's not just what you do, but it's more how and why you do it. So think of your dharma like your mission statement. Your dharma can be, I am here to connect women to their bodies, or I'm here to bring together two different cultures or bring beauty to this world. Now that as your mission statement has different services under it. And those are different careers you can have, roles you can play, projects you can work on. 
positions, et cetera. So I think a lot of times our society puts career and purpose into one category. And it's, it's really not the same thing because your career can shift. It can be taken from you. And I think so many of us are experiencing that right now. In a way, a career is a very like westernized and masculine idea of our dharma. Our dharma is the red thread that connects us through all areas of our lives. So what it feels like, it really is more of a gradual process. I think so many times we're like, okay, I'm going to live my dharma tomorrow. And it's, I actually have broken it down to these five stages of dharma discovery. So that first stage is the self-awareness. So it's the realization that something in my life needs to change. I can see the trajectory that my life is taking. For you, it was, you know, as an engineer student, for me, it was working at that NGO and realizing that if I don't make a shift, I'm not going to be happy with how my life ends up. And I think a lot of people are, you know, in that experience right now. Stage two naturally brings us to self-improvement. So now that I know something needs to shift, how do I improve myself, my body, my mind, my focus? So that really takes us into all forms of personal development, self-help space, um, getting more mental clarity, nutrition, fitness, all things related to the mind and body. So this is really important because we're not going to be able to be in alignment with our dharmas if we don't have the capacity for it, if we don't have the habits to support it. Like if you're drinking all the time and eating a bunch of sugar and not meditating ever, you're probably not going to be able to be the vibrational match for your dharma. So you got to go through that journey of self-improvement. So most self-help books are in that space. However, that's not the end goal. You know, you get this realization that you're not a mind and body to improve, but rather you are a soul to know and that there is nothing ever wrong with you and that you aren't broken, but rather you are an entire ocean of which you've only known a drop of. So in self-improvement, it can be very like, how do I hack everything in my life and get better? And then as we enter into the stage three, which is the spiritual awakening, we realize that there are all of these facets to ourselves that we weren't aware of and that we were in a way making ourselves feel bad about something that we didn't totally understand. So the focus goes into how do I get to know myself? You know, you may work with a coach, you may work with a therapist, a healer, do meditation, breath work, sound baths, Buddhist tradition, Reiki. Like there's so many different practices out there for you to get to know yourself on a deeper level. I think again, after 2020, so many people have entered into their stage three of like, wait, there's so much more than just going to the gym and hacking my whole life of like, why am I doing this? So that spiritual awakening is such a beautiful place to be in because it feels like the veils have been lifted and you're like, there is this cornucopia of possibilities that I just didn't know about. And it can feel very overwhelming because suddenly you're like, wait, how do other people not know about this? We got to wake them up. And it can feel very um, us versus them. So what naturally can happen in stage three is we feel very energetically overwhelmed. It can be a lot on the nervous system that we need to find our tools and our practices. So you tend to find those things that you dive deeper into. Maybe it is meditation for someone. It is hypnotherapy. It is Ayurveda. There are so many different things that you can dive deeper into. And that brings us into stage four, which is really self-development. So this is a deep researcher phase of like diving into those things that you're really interested in. And maybe again, non-related non to personal development too. It could be nutrition or architecture or whatever else. And really understanding why the world is the way that it is based off of ideas that have happened in the past. So in this stage four, now you're 
you're researching, you're understanding, you're doing courses, you're reading books, you're just trying to really get to the bottom of this thing. And then what naturally happens in this stage four is you start to find your own way of seeing the world. Okay, well, the Buddha said this and Abraham Hicks said that. Well, what do I think? Or this coach brought me this experience and this one brought me that experience. What is my unique take of it? So you start to find your own unique way of seeing the world. And then you start to share your tools, your practices. You start to get feedback. You refine them. You have more trial and error. And in this stage, we get more confidence and more courage of here's my unique voice that I get to bring to the table. And that naturally brings us into stage five. So stage five is Dharma embodiment. And that is really when the inner and the outer you match. There is no separation between the two. So you are living you full time. And I think a lot of people, they feel like they're one person at their job and another person outside of it, but they feel like they can't show up as their fullest expression in all conversations. But living your Dharma is exactly that. You get to show the different sides of yourself, integrate the aspects of yourself that feel like they don't fit into the puzzle or that you're ashamed about. And the biggest shift that happens in Dharma embodiment is you shift your focus from me to we. Mm. So the previous stages have to be about me. How do I get to know myself? How do I improve myself? How do I practice self-care? How do I do boundaries? Like you got to focus on me. You got to start within. However, when you're living your Dharma, you realize it was never really about you. It was about how you can be of service to humanity. So the things that fuel you up, your energy, it no longer comes from a bubble bath or getting away from your job. It actually comes from doing it, from being in it. And I call this the sacred doing when your being and your doing merge. When you're so deep into your being that you can't help but do, it's a natural expression of who you are. And that naturally takes your being into a doing. So when the writer becomes the words, the singer becomes the song, the practitioner becomes the practice. I feel like so often we have this battle between doing and being of like, I got to either be doing or being, but I can't do both. But your Dharma is the integration of the two that you are living in your meditation. It's no longer a practice. It's a way of life. And that fuels you from something that is so much greater than you. And that is how you see coaches and authors and people. And you're like, how do they create all of this? Like, how are they so energized? And it's because you're fueled by something that is so much larger than you. You're living your purpose. So you have the energy and the ideas and the creativity and the curiosity to guide you into that next iteration of your Dharma. Now, this is not reserved for, you know, the few and holy. It's not like Ajit gets to live his Dharma and Justin Bieber and like, that's it. You know, (laughs) all of us were actually born. We were all designed to be living our Dharma. It's just in our society, it hasn't totally fostered that yet, but we are right now having this realization that it's meant to feel flow. I meant to feel ease. I meant to feel this natural state of beingness in my doingness. And that is what living your Dharma is all about. That is so beautifully put. And I know our listeners definitely are seeking to be in that stage, Mm -hmm. are seeking to be at that fifth stage of living and doing at the same time and not really feeling like there's being and doing, you know? Um, so that's beautiful, beautiful. Is there, is there something that you've found that usually transitions a person from one stage to another? Mm. Is there, is there something that leads a person to go, Oh, okay, I'm at this stage. Let's say a lot of people would right now, as they listen, they were like, Oh, I'm at this stage. I can feel it mm-hmm. that I'm in this direction. What is it that you suggest that they do? 
Yeah. So I would look at what stage you are at and what stages to come. So if you are in stage one, you've just had the self-awareness, something needs to shift, move into self-improvement. Don't try to figure your whole Dharma out. Look at your habits, look at your lifestyle. What can you improve from where you are at at this moment? If you're in stage two, you've been really focused on the mind and the body. How can you integrate more of the spirit? Instead of meditating for more focus and clarity, how can you meditate more for sitting into the void? So taking that to a deeper level, and you can give it whatever name you want, but it's to really ask yourself, who am I? Mm -hmm. Now, if you're in that stage three, in more of the spiritual awakening, but you don't really know what to do with it, you may feel overwhelmed by the process, pick one thing to really focus on. Dive into the way it's been done. Really be a student in that. You know, for me, never am I not in a certificate training. Never am I not getting coached. And, and that's the thing. These stages don't end. It's not like, Oh, I'm in stage five, game over. Bye. It's like <laughs> they, they, they continue. So if you're maybe you were in stage five, you find yourself back in stage three, you're questioning things again. Okay. Move into stage four. Now, what, what am I really curious about? If I had a full day, what would I want to like Google? What conversations do I want to have? What am I excited about? And really devote your time diving into that. And that will bring you into the stage four. And if you're in the stage four that you've been doing a lot of research, you've been learning, you've been really case studying the way that things have done, but you don't have your way of seeing the world quite yet. Look at maybe the patterns, the advice that you're giving people. What are the patterns? What are the similarities? You know, so often we don't recognize our own energetic signature, but others can experience them. So maybe ask your friends or family that you feel like really know you, when have you seen me at my best? Or what would you come to me for advice for? Or how have I supported you? And then you'll be able to see more of the unique magic sauce you bring to the table and that will bring you more into stage five. Beautiful, beautiful. And I feel most of us as coaches or coaches that would be listening to this podcast are so focused on stage two and stage three. That's just how they are being in even in their practice. They're so focused on the physical and hacking things and more about, hey, how do I move to psychology? that they forget that if you really want to transform somebody's life, if you can support their journey beyond the psychology, if you can have them lean into their spirituality, if you can help them lean into their dharma, it would create a great impact in their life. And that is why I was so excited to bring you on this podcast. So Sahara, tell me, because I know we've talked about this before, I want to lean back into this conversation, is um, I know your big mission right now is to be able to have other people find their purpose. Why is that your mission right now? Mm, there is no greater way that we can raise consciousness and up-level humanity in the ways that it needs at this time more than ever if we don't live our dharmas. Frankly, we won't be able to solve the world's problems when we're not living in line with our purposes. I believe we were all designed with the desires, with the personalities, with the interests there's someone out there dreaming about the new food systems, just as there is someone dreaming about the new ways we're going to educate our kids and build our homes and all of the sustainable changes that we need to make. You may be the person that is dreaming of that right now. So just know that your dreams are dreaming you back. They're within you for a reason. They're encoded within you because it is how you are meant to serve humanity. And there is no greater ripple effect than living your Dharma. When you see your parent living your Dharma, it inspires you that it is possible. When you see your friend, your husband, your partner, your colleague, it shows you that it is possible for you as well. So 
I can't help everyone find their dharma single-handedly. Neither can you, neither can any one person. But if each of us can commit to shining our light in our own unique experiences, whether you were a lawyer in your past life or an engineer or a health coach or whatever it was, you can understand the psychology of that person, what they've experienced and be that sun that they need to ignite the sun that is within them as well. So the only way that we're going to be able to create the world that we all want to be a part of is by each of us individually living our dharma so collectively we can have the solutions of the world problems and make it come from a place of joy. That's the thing. You don't have to sacrifice your life to be of service. When your greatest form of joy is in alignment with your highest form of service, that intersection is really where your dharma is. And that is every person's birthright is why we are here. And that's what we're here to elevate people into. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I know that is an important narrative for us here at Evercoach as well. At Evercoach, our mission is to train a million coaches in the next 10 years. And this, you coming on this podcast, you sharing your insight towards how important it is for us to share our purpose and to help people find their purpose, for you to take that leap of faith in creating Dharma Coaching Institute with me, I think is going to be one of the critical clinical points that will turn humanity to be more and more in alignment with their dharma, with their purpose. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming here today, Sahara. Thank you for having me. I am your host, Ajit Navlakai, and every week on the Evercoach podcast, I will bring the world's best thinkers, coaches, trainers to share some of their best ideas to solve real client problems, live a prosperous life, and be an even better version of ourselves. 